we're not going through Isaiah. So um, that was kind of a, uh, a missed deal. Uh, we knew about this a while ago, what really happened. For those of you who don't know, I'm not just the drummer. Uh, many moons ago, I actually used to kind of fill in for Tom if he was sick or out of town whatever else, but God has just kind of raised up a lot of folks. We had Brad, if you remember Brad Hornbeck, who was actually a, uh, he is now a chaplain, but at that point he always got mad if you called him a chaplain because you can't call me a chaplain. It's like against the rules. And I'm like, no, it's against the rules for you to say you're a chaplain. We can all tell you a cha- call you a chaplain. So he's back out in California. And honestly, um, I'm really blessed with Kevin and Greg and just everything else. Uh, it's an honor for me anytime to step into the pulpit. It's been a long time. Um, with that being said, I told Tom that not to worry about time. I'd have you out in about 90 minutes. So, uh, see, I know which ones have not been here because I haven't taught that long. But when we used to do tapes, we actually ran out of tape. That was kind of like, you know, I got narked on by these two because I think he was in California at the time, and I got a phone call before I even knew that we had run out of tape. So, any of that, with all that being said, um, if you need Bibles, raise your hand, and Stuart will be happy to bring you one. We're going to be hanging out in Hebrews. So if you turn to Hebrews 13, that'll kind of be our start. Um, I do want to share that Lisa... Uh, has been sick since like Sunday, and so Tom took her to the doctor today, and she has pneumonia, so she's on all kinds of uh, antibiotics and whatever else to try and do that. So we'll, uh, when we pray for the study, we'll also pray for her. Father, we come before you, God, and we pray and lift up tonight. God, we pray for, Lord, those kids downstairs, God, uh, not just in children's church, but the youth. Pray that you would just, uh, Lord, store the, your truth within them, God. Help them to see and view this world and be able to look at it through lenses of you. God, we can't keep them in a bubble. Uh, They need to be able to discern right and wrong and truth and fiction. Father, we pray that you would do that with us, that right now uh, we would give you our hearts, that we would surrender them to you, and that, Father, you would go through and, and do the surgery needed to correct things that need to be done, and God, to continue us on the way in making us more and more like your son. Father, we lift up Lisa and Tom to you, God. Father, we just pray that you would, uh, Lord, heal Lisa through these meds, and uh, God, just uh, get that taken care of, Father. We just thank you so much that you care about every little thing in our life going on, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've got a couple different things. Um, One, if you look up here, I had my assistant today as I was going out. She goes, how long do you plan on teaching? And I'm missing a book because I still had a couple things to do. So when I saw the Facebook thing, I texted Tom and said, am I still teaching or are you doing it? Because it says Isaiah, and I just want to make sure because um, I've still got a little bit to, to fine tune. And, uh, and he goes, oh, no, no, it's you. We're good. So a um, couple things I wanted to do because I know I think – that everybody knows everything. Um, and so I sometimes will talk with my clients and those that are Christians will talk with me about things and I'll share things and just be like, yeah, well, you know, so-and-so. And I see the blank, you know, deer in the headlight kind of look. 
And so I explain who that person is, whatever else. So I wanted to share with you some books. Um, and for those of you who don't like actual reading, uh, try to work on that. Or you can go through and do books on tape. Um, all kinds of ways to do stuff. So the first one I'm going to go through and recommend is one that I actually stole back from Tom um, back before we moved out here. We moved out here in 04, um, so we're coming up on 13 years uh, this October at the church. And this one I used to have all my kids in youth read. It's called Four Souls. It's actually an accounting of four guys who were in college together in California, and they decided when they got done with their bachelor's, before they went on to graduate work or got into the workforce, whatever else, they wanted to go and have a, quote, epic adventure, but not just like traveling. They wanted to stay with local Christians and help out, kind of a, a short-term mission that lasted a year. And uh, it's it's really kind of the reason I love it is that they include like their journals, and sometimes they're at odds with each other. Um, they struggle. You, you catch them struggling with things, like as they're trying to cross Mexico, going to Guatemala with a truck, and just expired medical supplies. Uh, of course, they're like, well, my friend, you must, uh, do you have anything? Do you have, a, do you have a gift for me? And so, you know, one of them is going, we shouldn't do anything. And the other is going, this is the way the culture is. You know, it's not really like, a bribe like it would be in America. This is expected. They journaled back to their, their college, and there were people who later on were, were sending stuff to them about, I don't believe that you would just be wanton and blatant about your sin. And, and it really struggled. The guys struggled with it. Um, but it really does go through. The reason they want to do it was that one of the guys was interning, and he's like, this guy supposedly like has everything that the world would offer and he's unhappy. And I don't want to do that. And we want to, before we get caught up in this world system, we want to go do something. Okay? So, Four Souls, you can come up and take pictures afterwards. Anything by this guy. Everyone know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is? Is there anyone who doesn't know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is? All right. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, uh, well, Bible college seminary student in the uh, late 20s. Uh, finished, became a pastor in the 30s in Nazi Germany, or in Germany as it was turning over to the Nazis. I always knew some stuff about Bonhoeffer. I did not know that he put out the word and tried to go through and warn everyone as early as he did. Those of you who know about Project Valkyrie, um, he was involved in that. He ended up dying in a concentration camp due to his faith. He had home churches, that were done because the, quote, German church was not actually a church. Um, but anyways, Bonhoeffer, if you don't know anything about Bonhoeffer, Eric Metaxas has a great biography of his. Um, but if you can go through, uh, most of the used bookstores here around town have some really great resources because we've got a bunch of Bible colleges. And unfortunately, um, I'm going to make sure my will says it this way, pastors end up passing away and their... Uh, a state ends up selling them, which uh, I have so many books from pastors' libraries, which I appreciate, but it feels bad that it's not that. All right. Bonhoeffer, any of his books, this one is Letters and Papers from Prison, after he had been sent, and it's literally stuff that he would send to his parents saying, hey, don't worry about me, everything's good. Um, kind of a, a modern-day Paul. We're going to be in, oops, sorry, 
I lied. One other one. Navigators. Honesty, morality, and conscience. All right? This is kind of like, uh, here we go, I got nodding head in the back. Um, this is kind of like Christian Life 101. It goes through and deals with it. Um, a lot of these books I end up finding somewhere. I'm a bibliophile. Those of you who don't know what that means, I love books. I'm one of those weird people that like gets an old book and, ah, it, it's, it's an addiction. If you see me on Facebook, I put things like, I'm, I'm cured of all this. What am I saying? I'm going to the bookstore. So, um, I, Cheryl has told me that I'm allowed to buy books as long as I have space on bookshelves to put them. And I find like library sales where you buy paperbacks for 25, 50 cents. Uh, in Hebrews, anyone actually love Hebrews? I, I have a lot of people who are like, Hebrews is a weird book. It's strange. He talks about this. He talks about, man, if you go back, there's no re-sacrifice. He's dealing with, it's kind of Old Testament. And a lot of folks feel that's weird. Andrew Murray. Anything by Andrew Murray. All right? 19th century Scottish pastor. Amazing thing. Most of his books are really thin. Um, they are good, easy reads. Um, the thing I love about Murray, all right, Bonhoeffer, challenges me in my Christian walk. I read Murray, and Murray makes me, and it's a bad word, makes me envious because he takes such complex theories and concepts and whittles them down simply, and I'm like, "Mm, why? I wish I could do that. He's just an amazing guy, all right? So with all that being said, Turn with me to Hebrews 13. So, when Tom first talked about this, it was supposed to be like May 10th. Because he was going to go back and go get Joey. And wow, I had a lot of time. And then like, I think it was last Tuesday or Wednesday, he was like, Hey, Joey like has finished his stuff and I can go early. You're good to teach next week. And of course, there's that fear that goes, because as much as I love teaching, here's the problem for a lot of us guys. If we're filling in for Tom, I teach expositionally, like Tom does. All right? You go through, pick a book. That's hard to do in a day, a night. I usually do Jude if I have to on that, because it's really easy. But I don't, I really, I, I, I looked at it and said, no. Um, so this one's going to be a little bit of everything if you'll work with me. So some of it is really a, uh, a contending for the faith, but a lot of it is just our walk, our, uh, the way that our uh, behavior, our life should be out here in the world. All right. Uh, with that, Hebrews 13. Let lovely, let lovely, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. 
For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So the author of Hebrews comes through, and this is kind of his final stuff. The, the main theme of Hebrews is beware, all right? Um, the big part is drifting, and I, I always love uh, when you talk about drifting, you're either going to talk about, you usually are talking about someone on the water, okay? And, and most Calvary pastors all talk about surfing. Uh, as a kid growing up in England, I wanted to do two things when I moved to Southern California. I wanted to learn how to surf, and because of Top Gun, I wanted to learn how to play beach volleyball. Um, I can play beach volleyball really, really well. Um, surfing, not so much. Uh, my buddies who all surfed were mean and wicked and did not talk about sets, uh, so I went out and got pounded by sets and then realized that, oh, wait a minute. And I asked one of them, like, why did you do this? And he goes, I said, you told your wife. He goes, I sleep with her, James. For you, it's just kind of fun to watch you do it. Um, I enjoy it, but I'm not good at it. You get out past the breakers. You always see the movies where they're just sitting on the board. And I'm a long boarder because I'm a big guy. Um, they all told me that I was broken. I could not sit out past the breaker I would always be like rolling or dipping forward, you know, my gyroscope's broken or something. But, but get me a set coming in, I could paddle, get up. It was great. Kind of like some of the other things that I've tried, I decided it was way too much energy. I had a lot of other things that I enjoyed just as much that did not just try to kill me. Um, cause the last time I surfed, I literally got caught in, uh, the sets, got pounded got stuck into a whirlpool, got out, and got to the shore. And this was a, a youth camp. Yay! Kids always like to see the youth pastor die. Um, and I got out, and someone was like, you're going to go back in? And I was like, no, God got me back to shore. I will not tempt him. I'm done. Boogie board, body surf, I'm good with that. Anyways, so, but I paddle in a canoe or whatever else. And if you don't watch it, even on a, like, Fellows Lake, you can go up there, and with the wind, you drift. It's just a natural thing. And the writer of Hebrews warns us as, as readers 
to beware lest we drift. And he does the same thing that you do when you're on water. What do you do to stop yourself drifting? Or at least to know you're drifting. Come on, this is youth. I'm a youth guy. I expect, like, people to say things. Huh? You've got to focus on something on the shore. If all you do is just your paddling, guess what? It really gets weird, especially if you're on moving water, okay? If you go, like, get on the Missouri River, it's really hard to find some stuff. You've got to be on top of things, knowing where your mile markers are, whatever else. But if you're in a lake or you're out surfing, all you got to do is you got to fix on one thing, but you got to make sure that you're very focused. Because I'll tell you, at a beach, those little lifeguard shacks all look kind of alike, but they all have numbers. And when you pull yourself out, even if you can't see from way back, you got to know what number you got in at so you know which way to hike because it doesn't always go one way. You can drift either way, depending on what the wind, what the current's doing, everything else. And that's a good thing for us to, to know as Christians as we look at Hebrews, because guess what? The world is really easy to have us drift. Okay? So, verse 1, he, he, first he talks about spiritual gifts. If I was going to ask you, name a spiritual gift, what's the first one that comes to your mind? Love? What? Helps? Okay. What else? Joy. Okay, I got three. Is that all you guys know? Huh? Tongues? Okay. What? Exhortation. Good. What does Paul pull out of all of the spiritual gifts? Does he go through and start talking about? He goes through and says, talks about hospitality. Don't forget to entertain strangers. And I had people when I was maturing in the Lord and getting involved that I would talk about hospitality. And they're like, that's not a spiritual gift. And I'm like, oh, yes, it is. If you have ever met someone that has the gift of hospitality, here's kind of how I describe it. Imagine you've got more than your capacity at home. And you are taking care of them, but not one of them believes that they're imposing on you. That's a gift of hospitality. I know some people that desire the gift of hospitality, and God bless them, they do not have that. Okay? It's not a, a knock on them. I mean, it's, it'd be like me. I, I do not have the gift of tongues. I've prayed for it. I've asked God for it. It's just not happened. Okay? Because the Spirit gives the gifts to us as He wills. But I know some ladies that are like, I just, I just so want to be hospitable. And, and it's everything I can do just to say, you don't. Sorry. My mother-in-law is one of these. She wants it so bad in her fiber, but you can tell that it rubs her the wrong way. Lady that I knew, uh, now you guys are going to know it, but lady called Rita Rust, okay? Her husband was a, uh, a welder. And she drove the school bus. And literally, you could go through, pack her house out on Thanksgiving to where she can't really take care of just her immediate family, like her mother who was infirm. And she's got like 20 other people 
sitting down and she is just joyful as all get out and just loving it. She had the gift of hospitality. She had the nerve to go through and tell me and, and our pastor that she had no spiritual gifts. I'm just, you know what? I'm just one of those didn't have a spiritual gift, James, John. And we're like, yeah, you do. So we talk about hospitality. That's a hard one, right? Entertaining strangers. Wait a minute. It's dangerous out there. They, they could be crazy people. What if God means everything he said in this book? What if he did? Understand, I'm not pointing at you guys. Gang, we are in this together. One of the things that really kind of did it is I started reading this about two months ago. Okay? The bad thing is, is that I'm ADD and a bibliophile, so I've got about ten books I'm reading at the same time. It just kind of depends on where I find one, and I'll start reading it again. And, um, but it really is. Trace yourself back to when you got saved. Trace yourself back to when you were first reading on things about how God wanted you to act. And realize that if you look at today, a lot of times we don't line up at that same spot, right? Why? We didn't grab a focus point, and we've drifted. Okay? That's not to say that we're all just deadly in sin or anything else. We have to just work at what God has called us to do. He's called us to be lights in a dark world. He's called us to be his witnesses, right? The Bible talks about us being ambassadors, Bible talks about us being soldiers in a foreign land, right? This isn't our home. But when you do that, do soldiers get involved and entangled in some of the things that are going on in this other world? It's hard because we're citizens of heaven, but yet earthly-wise, we're citizens here on earth. And it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day doldrums, okay? To get up with whatever is the, the ongoing drama in our lives, whether that be work, whether that be issues with family, whatever it is. Man, my, my new car doesn't have such and such. The AC in my car broke, okay? That's a big one for me. Because I, I do not, I, you all know I have a fan back there. If they and Tom let me, that thing would be set to about 62 and you'd all be frozen out. And I'd be happy. I don't like it when stuff like that happens. But in reality, where does that set with God? Am I glorifying him? I mean, really, when we go through and do it, and every, it I'm, the, I'm the biggest one, okay? James, from Jacob, he'll catch her. Supplanter, schemer. And you have all this stuff and people, you get into a, you can get into a part where you become like, you can't have any joy. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we just have to be cognizant. We have to be aware of where we're at and what we are doing for our Savior and our Lord. Because it's really simple to get caught up in everything else and all of a sudden, 
if you could go back and show your life to the you when you got saved, that one would be like, why are you compromising? But that's me. Um, we need to be thinking of prisoners. See, this one hits me because when I was up at the Bible college, we did, we went to the, uh, the low security prison. And we go down and, and do that. And we had an old timer there that literally he was going to die in prison. I mean, he, he had done some bad stuff, but he had been on good enough behavior that he got into low sec- minimum security. It was kind of like a ranch. They were the guys that would go out and help with uh, fire stuff and everything else. And one night he decided that he was going to tell us the truth. He goes, guys, I need you to know that most of the guys that show up here, they're not Christians. They're jail Christians. They're prison Christians. And I was like, what? And he goes, they act this way because it affords them benefits. But when they get out, they're going to go back to being who they are. They're just doing it here because the guards maybe give them a little bit slack. He said some of them, they do it because right now they'd be sitting in a cell. And as much as they probably hate coming here and singing songs with you and listening to you tell the Bible, it's a whole lot better than sitting in your cell. And that blew my mind. When do you think the last time was that I visited a prison to go visit people in prison as prisoners? When I left the Bible college. I'm busy. I've got all these things. I'm busy here at church. I'm busy at work. I'm busy at home. None of that is bad stuff. But I don't read here that, hey, consider the prisoners and... You don't have to, only if it's pull on you. Widows and orphans, right? These aren't options for us. God says these are things to do. He also says that <clears throat> those who are mistreated, but he gives us a reason behind it. He says, because we're part of the body, right? In Corinthians, he talks about if if the body hurts, or part of a body hurts, does not the whole body hurt with it? We've got members of the body in different countries, in this country, that are prisoners. You don't have to go visit them, but we need to remember them. We need to be praying for them. Right? He then goes through and pulls this, and he says, Marriage is honorable above all, and the bed undefiled. I'm not going to even hit on to that. You know what? That is a a deal. Why is, is marriage honorable above all? God tells us that, you know what? Marriage is a type of Christ in the church. So why is it honorable above all? Because we're to be modeling to the world in our marriages Christ to this world. You know, the world has some weird ideas about marriage, guys. I mean, I don't know how much you get out and about, but some of them have some really freaky things about, well, you know, marriage is about this, you know. 
It's all about one hand rubbing the other. And if I give this, then I should get that. What are you, like a, a, a trader in a bazaar out in the desert? I mean, you know, hey, I'll trade you 15 shells for that. I mean, that's how some people operate in their marriage. You know what? We don't communicate. Or the other one, it's warfare. You know what? We're at war, James. You may not know it yet, but you're at war with your spouse every day. Wow. No. I mean, we are at war, but we're not at war with each other, right? We're in the same foxhole, and that's where a lot of problems happen for Christians in marriage is we forget that we're fighting a common enemy. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day, and you look at your spouse, and you go, You stink. And it's sweaty here. And what are all these shells around? Ah, I want out of this. And you forget, hey, there's someone over there shooting at you. You're in a war. That's why you're stinking everything else, because there's a purpose to it. He then comes through and talks about, let our conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. There's a, a version that goes through and says, do not love money. Here's a big thing for you, okay? And this is one that hits me. Maybe not you guys. This is all me, so I'm just, this is James 101. I suck. Um, it's fact of life. Um, when we got married, we were still in college. And our pastor at the time went through and said, so what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. Something in the ministry. Well, what if you don't have enough money? Well, I guess we'll just, you know, live cheaper. And I, I hear some of those things in my head and I go through and go, okay, so where are you at? Is that where you're at, James? Here's the easiest thing. And someone told me this a long, long time ago. If you want to know whether or not you are given over to love of stuff or money, could you walk away from everything today? If God went through and said, you know what, give it all, your house, your car, give it all, could you do it? Or would it be, I'll give up all of that, but there's these couple things. Okay? There's a couple things. Now, some of those to me are very sentimental things, okay? My dad's dad's side-by-side shotguns, which are the only things that I have of Papa. I never met him. He died when my dad was 18. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to just throw them out. I don't want to sell them. But there's other things. Again, I like comfort. If you can't tell that, I like comfort. If you want to know what good food is, ask me or Jacob. Um, yeah. So, would you? Is there something that you say, God, not that? What if God called you to go be a missionary in Zambia? You can't take anything with you. You can take two suitcases. And that's it. Could you do it? Would you do it? That's something only you can answer. That tells you whether 
you've got a hold on your stuff or your stuff has a hold on you. And I'll be honest, sometimes it depends on the day to which one's got a hold of who in my life. And it's not like, you know, anything big. It's not, oh, I want a bigger house or the, the nicer car. You know, usually those of you who know me, I, I like run down and beat up old vehicles. Uh, give me a new one. I'd probably just sell it and go buy a couple wrecks. Um, but that stuff can have a hold on you, too. He says here not to be covetous. Understand, I remember someone went through and said, you're coveting if if you want to have that. That doesn't mean that. I mean, someone's like, you know, you can't covet if you're rich. Yeah, you can. Definitely can. If you're not content, Paul in Philippians says, I've learned to be content in all things, in plenty and in want. That says it's not bad to have stuff. That just means that if you're wanting someone else's stuff or wanting different stuff than you've got that God blessed you with, you may need to check your heart. I need to once in a while. This part, I'm going to jump back. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 4, verse 11. Hebrews 4 is talking about the rest of God, of Christ. Verse 11, it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Other uh, versions go through and strive to enter the rest, which sounds weird, right? How do you strive to rest? But it's this perfect rest that he has spoken of, of the promises of entering God's rest. That, that part that makes no sense. That one that if you've ever gone through and said, God, I'm, I'm going to test you like Gideon did and I'm going to put out fleeces, which just means, hey, God, I'm going to say, do this if, if you want me to do these kind of things. And you're freaked out and you go, God, I don't think I should be freaked out. If you want me to do this, you'll give me peace. And you're freaking out and all of a sudden, even though you're freaking out, inwardly you have this peace falls upon you. It's it's very difficult to explain. I wish I could. It's happened to me. That's how I know it does. Um, that's actually uh, when I realized I needed to ask Cheryl to marry me because um, I was freaking out because I felt God was telling me, Go ask her, and I didn't want to. And I said, okay, you're not the author of confusion, and I'm confused and all freaked out. And if if this is from you, you'll give me peace. And inside my head, I'm still freaking out, but there's a peace that just kind of came over me. I started freaking out worse. My roommates at the time were like, what is wrong? And I'm like, I asked God to give me peace, and he did. And they're like, so? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is way outside of the realm. Because now I've got to go do it. You guys are like all like mature saints. I can tell. None of you are like flipped by this. You're like, yeah, dude, that happens all the time. We're good with that. This concept of entering the rest 
it's kind of like work diligently on your salvation. Stir up the gift that is within you, right? I mean, some of these sound like they're... Um, um, brain's gone? Oxymorons. Strive to enter the rest. God doesn't require us to work, right? All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Let my yoke be upon you. That all sounds like antithetical. Strive to enter the rest. Guys, God's done it all. One of my go-to ones is Ephesians. I love Ephesians. Um, a home Bible study we took, I think, 13 months to go through Ephesians. We, we were really breaking it down. Um, there's nothing that we have to do. God has blessed you with all of the spiritual gifts in the heavenlies. So what do you do? How do you obtain it? He's already done it, right? I love the one that I believe it's Ironside that used it as an illustration. Picture a man who has left his home country and he has gone out to go seek his fortune. Now, back in the home country, even though he's striving in the new one and struggling to to even just survive, in the home country one of his family passes away. And it just so happens that no one in the direct line is eligible to inherit the title, the lands, the wealth. The second that that forebearer passed on, he was rich, right? He was blessed with all of the possessions and assets but he's got to go through and step into it right when they finally find him struggling eking out an existence and they say your great great uncle or your cousin five times removed will you accept the title and responsibility he has it he just has to walk in it He just has to take that on with what has been given to him. Guys, God has done this. When you read in the Bible that it says those he chose, those he saved. Those he saved, those he glorified. That thing is a past tense. Now, we're not glorified. Remember, I suck, right? That's what we've learned tonight. Tom will listen to this. and I'll get one of those talks. It's okay. Um, but see, I'm not glorified, but in God's eyes, all of us that have accepted Christ, all of us that are his children, in his eyes, you're glorified. He started the work. He's not like me. I have a lot of projects. I'm working on this because I'm a perfectionist. 
So I like to have things a certain way. And if I can't make it the way that I like it, it gets stopped at a certain point because then it doesn't really mock me because I couldn't do it. I just didn't finish it. By the way, husbands, your wives really don't like when you do this. Okay? They may be quiet about it, but it eventually comes back to the surface. God's not that way. When he starts a work, he follows it through. So when it says, those he glorified, that's you guys. You started on this walk. I know that it's rough. I know that, man, I pulled out a couple things and you're going, dude, I'm on every single one of them. That's okay. So am I. We're on the same journey, guys. I'm not going to say you guys suck because you don't. That's just me. But we all... And I can never remember who said it, but we are not the Christian that we wish to be. But thank God we are not the Christian that we once were, right? We should be moving along. You should be able to look back and see progress. Now, once in a while, we slip on that, right? You go through and you've had a bad day and you're positive that, you know what? That non-Christian, we, we, we become David's, Right? When I considered this guy and the way and how he was blessed, my foot almost slipped. But when I entered into the temple of the most holy, my eye, I saw that end. It's easy. You know, I work in a, in a funky industry. Uh, I do insurance and financial stuff. And it's weird because every two years we're required to take an ethics course. And, and you start discovering that. Like if you watch like Wolf of Wall Street and other things like that, there's a whole lot of guys and gals in that industry that just do crazy things. I mean, things that, in my mind, you're not allowed to do this anymore. One of the easiest ones is that for the ethics, the very first question that you have to go through and tick is that, this is actually you taking it and not someone else taking it for you. And when I went through and got my certifications and talked with other people that were doing it, I made a comment about continuing ed. And almost to a person, all right, so like 99.9% of the people I talked with were like, oh, don't even worry about that. Just have your CSR do it, your, your customer, so your front, your front rep. And I'm like, you can. It says it. And they go, you are so naive, James. That's so cute. Wait a minute. You, not only are you not taking the ethics thing, you, you're lying on the very first thing, or you're making them do it. What? I realize how easy it can be. I had just recently a deal that I was talking with some people about stuff we were going to do, and... They were all for it, and then they changed the parameters of what they wanted to do. And I could have kept it going because it, it still was a good thing for them. It still wasn't a bad deal, but it wasn't in their best interests. But it cost me about forty grand. I see how easy that could be for someone to say, you know what, this is a... This is okay. This is still, they need this. 
It may not be the best thing for him, but it still works. Right? What does this all mean? What did I come here to do? What did we talk about tonight? I hope that what we've taken away from it is that God calls us to a life of integrity. God calls us to a life of love. God calls us to a life of reaching out to those that have wronged us, to those that will wrong us, to forgiving those even if they never ask for your forgiveness because God doesn't go through and say that, hey, they've got to. He says, if you've got bitterness, forgive them, right? Forgive as we've been forgiven. It's a hard road. There are many times where I say this and people really go, yeah, you do suck. Um, I wish sometimes that it was a complete lie, the Christian life. Because you know what? It's easier to live in this world without being a Christian. It really is. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, hey, everything else is hard or whatever, but it is. You know what? But we're called to it because of what is the end game, right? Guys, let's keep the end game in our sights. Let's remember what we've been called for. Let's remember what we're called to do. And let's remember that, you know what? God could have used any way or method to reach out to this world. But you know what? He chose you and I. Let's walk worthy of that calling. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us, God. God, just uh, so many times it's, it's difficult as we're trying to make sure that we are taking care of those things that you've got for us to do while yet still existing in this world. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be those examples, not just to the unbelievers, but Father, to our Christian brothers and sisters that are in our workforce that maybe they're bending the rules. Maybe they think that, you know what, you got to get along to move along. Father, help us to to not compromise our our integrity. Father, not to compromise what you have called us to. Father, I pray that as we go out tonight, that, Lord, you would... Just to have that there that we would we would ask you just to look and see if there's anything that you want changed. And God, we, if you show us stuff, God, help us to be strong to, to go through and work on that and to get it changed and to be more like you want us to be. To acquire and take on those heavenly gifts, spiritual gifts that you have blessed us with already. We just need to go through and accept them. Father, we just thank you and we praise you in your son's precious name. Amen.